HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If you're a farmer in New York State, join the New York State Grown and Certified program to let people know your food is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Greenhorns, this is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, and usually of young farmers. Um, today, I'm coming to you from Hanley Cellars in the Anderson Valley. Thank you to the Hanley Cellars people for letting me use their conference room. And am excited to speak with Jeff Conant, who is not a young farmer, but he is a senior, senior international forest programs director. Um, at Friends of the Earth in the United States. Um, so he is actually just a regular environmentalist um, working on forest issues. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Um, and for the record, I try to grow as much of my own food as I can, though I'm not a young farmer. Um, <laughs> well, we appreciate that. Uh, we um, are an audience of mostly working agrarians and aspiring agrarians and their fan clubs and friends, and many of us are put in the position, being growers um, or advocates for a more regional economy, to speak with our communities on food issues, and one of the food issues that has come up more and more um, is palm oil and the presence of palm oil in all the goodies and cakes um, from Trader Joe's and all the way down, um, and other tropical products that um, we've already concerned, we've already dealt with on a fair trade level, coffee and chocolate that come from forest economies and plantation economies around the world. So I was hoping that in this interview we could really just make sure that the young farmer literacy on these plantation issues um, was as high as possible. So that's my goal. And maybe you could just introduce yourself and, and your work there at, at Friends of the Earth. 
Yeah, sure. Sounds good. And um, I mean, what a great, uh, what a great audience to be speaking to. I have huge admiration for anybody who is growing food for all of us. Um, so, I uh, so Friends of the Earth is an international federation of grassroots environmental groups. It's known as the largest um, sort of organized federation of grassroots environmental groups in the world. We're in 75 countries. Um, and I am with Friends of the Earth U.S. I'm based in Berkeley, California. We also have an office in Washington, D.C. And uh, my particular focus, or the focus of my particular campaign, um, well, the campaign is called uh, Land Grabs, Forests, and Finance. And the, the basics of the, the campaign is that we are trying to save tropical forests and preserve and protect the rights of people who live in tropical forest countries. Um, we work very closely with community-based organizations uh, in several tropical forest countries, including Indonesia, Uganda, Nigeria, Liberia, Guatemala, um, and others. And uh, what we're trying to do is basically drive back the overwhelming expansion of the palm oil industry, palm oil being right now the fastest growing cause of tropical deforestation worldwide. Um, and there are a lot of great organizations working on this, um, a whole spectrum of kinds of action that folks are taking from getting consumer companies to um, either stop using palm oil or to... Uh, to sort of put pressure on their suppliers to improve their environmental and social uh, management to what we're doing, which is specifically following the money. Um, what we're doing in our campaign is looking at the U.S. financiers of the palm oil plantation sector and trying to put pressure on them to force them to, as we say, defund deforestation and land grabbing. Um, so you're following the money back to places in Oakland and San Francisco, New York, and Chicago to figure out who's paying for the despoilation of these pristine ecosystems and get them where they sleep, as opposed to fighting it once it's already bulldozes. Yeah, though, yes, that's right. Um, though, to be fair, uh, there is so much forest that's already gone. There's, so, I mean, in... When I made my first visit uh, to Indonesia, when I started this campaign, um, it was kind of like, uh, say, you've been fighting against uh, monoculture corn for uh, a couple of years, and then you fly to Iowa, and you see that, in fact, it's wall-to-wall -wall corn. Um, I say that by way of saying it's pretty late in the game um, in terms of... The, the unbelievable expansion of this industry, um, but we believe, you know, we're talking about a, an industry that's taken root in tropical rainforests, and if any ecosystem can recover uh, from human devastation, it's tropical rainforests. So that seems like it's the, so there's a both stopping the, stopping the growth of deforestation and working now to begin the project of restoration of these tropical ecosystems. Uh, maybe we can just talk a little bit about the scale of this palm industry and what it's used for and just kind of explain the supply chain because I've looked at Google Map I've looked at Google images of Sumatra and seen the leveling, but not everybody has a visual um, has visual references for this. So I thought maybe you could give it just kind of a, a bit of a background of why are people growing palm? They grow palm. What are the impacts? That kind of thing. Sure, sounds good. Um, 
So um, let's see. Essentially, palm oil, well, the trees are called oil palm trees, um, and the product is called palm oil. It's a palm, it's a one particular member of the palm family um, that produces a, an incredibly uh, fat-rich uh, nut or fruit um, that um, is basically the tree itself uh, starts producing fruit once it's three years old and it can produce until it's about 25 years old. And um, it's a relatively uh, very new uh, commodity crop. Its origins are in West Africa where it's been grown since time immemorial as a staple crop um, and is actually like, you know, like any other crop. We're talking to farmers here. It's, a, you know, it's a wonderful plant. Um, it's just that the industrialization and, uh, and uh, vast commercialization of it has turned it into a blight. Um, so about mm, 30 years ago or so, the trees were hybridized um, to be much more productive than they are in their natural environment. And um, Indonesia instituted a kind of a social engineering program where they wanted to move a lot of people out of the highly populated urban areas into the remote um, countryside of, of Borneo and Sumatra. And along with that, they wanted to give them livelihood. So the World Bank basically instituted a program uh, with Indonesia called the Transmigration Program, where people were... Um, sent off to get their, you know, 40 acres and a mule, as it were, um, out in the, the rural countryside, which meant tropical rainforests, primarily inhabited by indigenous peoples. And um, they uh, gave them the uh, seedlings of hybrid palm oil trees, oil palm trees. Um, and over the next 20, 30, 40 years now, this has expanded to be... Um, basically vast monocultures that are growing across Indonesia and Malaysia. Um, if you picture, so the island of Borneo um, is the third largest island in, in the world, um, and four-fifths of the tropical forests on that island have been, are gone, largely due to palm oil and, and pulp and paper expansion. Um, about 48 football fields worth of tropical rainforests are destroyed every minute, globally. Um, and palm oil is, is one among many, you know, we're also talking about beef and sugar and soy and all of the other culprits of tropical forest destruction. Um, but once the industry expanded vastly in Indonesia and Malaysia, it started moving into other areas. Essentially, palm oil um, can be produced anywhere where there were tropical forests. It grows really well in those conditions. So you're seeing vast expansions in um, sub-Saharan Africa, the Congo Basin, West Africa, um, and Latin America, basically from southern Mexico down through the Amazon. Um, and, of course, all of the countries where it's being grown are, are most of the countries where it's being grown happen to also be former dictatorships um, where um, land is just taken out of the hands of local and indigenous peoples and put into the hands of multinational corporations. Um, so what do we what do we use this all for in the U.S. Um, so far? We've managed to keep palm oil largely out of our um, biofuels, but in Europe, 10% of the biofuel mix is made up of palm oil, mostly from Indonesia, but also from Latin America and Africa. 
Um, but in the U.S., most of the palm oil that we encounter on a daily basis is in cookies, chips, donuts, um, instant noodles, lipstick, toothpaste, shampoo, um, and it comes under a number of different uh, names on your label. Sometimes it's just called vegetable oil. Sometimes it's palm oil, palm kernel oil. If you look at your shampoo label, laurel sulfate is palm oil. Um, and uh, so, yet another well, reason to use Dr. Bronner's. Yep, yep, yep. In fact, Dr. Bronner's Dr. Bronner's is an interesting case because they do use palm oil, but they do it in about as as fair trade and regenerative a manner um, as as can be imagined. Sorry, you were listing all the different places where this palm oil is turning up. Yeah, so, um, I mean, 90% of the world's palm oil continues to come from Indonesia and Malaysia. Um, and, you know, again, tropical forest. One of the things, actually, on the, on the tropical forest question, one of the things that makes it so devastating over there in Indonesia and Malaysia is, well, several things. One uh, is that um, these um, countries are habitat to orangutans, Sumatran rhinos, um, Sumatran elephants, all of which are on the critically endangered species list due specifically to the expansion of the palm oil industry. Um, but another is that much of the tropical soils in Indonesia are peat soils, meaning they're vegetable soils as opposed to mineral soils. And um, the way the forests are being decimated, the uh, natural forest is burned down and then replaced with palm oil plantations, and the peat soils actually catch fire and smolder for years on end. Um, they're they're you know, dense with carbon. And so Indonesia is the third largest CO2 emitter um, in the world after the U.S. and China, specifically because of the burning of peatlands uh, to convert them to oil palm plantations. Um, and, I mean, when we, you know, one question that constantly comes up is, well, you know, what, what can we replace palm oil with? It's, it's actually a very efficient uh, crop, such as it goes. Um, but we're using it in, you know, to, to fry French fries and to make cookies and donuts and breads and instant noodles. So it, you're saying it's to, not a it's not a homeland security issue. Yeah, right. It's a junk food issue. It's a junk food issue in the U.S. It's a junk food issue. Um, so we simply, you know, it's not a question of replacing this oil. It's a question of, you know. Changing our lifestyles and uh, changing our, you know, nation's consumption habits so that we don't aren't faced with the products that uh, that have come to depend on this oil. But it's also, in terms of following the money, uh, hold on just a sec. Sorry about that. <laughs> in terms of following the money, um, we have found that about 10% of the global palm oil industry is financed by uh, large institutional investors and asset managers. So a lot of people in the U.S. Um, will have their pension funds and retirement funds invested in palm oil plantation companies against their knowledge um, and, you know, I would imagine against their will. So part of what we're doing is trying to uh, stem the tide of financing for the industry so that it can't uh, essentially afford to uh, continue destroying forests and, and livelihoods. And, of course, this is the same format of capital that's co
complicit in the land grabbing that's going on across the world for other kinds of crops um, and developments and mining and extraction of many kinds, and is also happening now here in the United States as capital is trying to find safer places to put itself um, and is propelling a really historic concentration and consolidation uh, of ownership in the U.S. farm sector, which is already impacting many of my homies, friends, and networks, um, and which you really can see on the ground in terms of massive investment in pumps for cropping in marginal environments for export markets. That's an especial kind of opportunity place for capital is to go in and dump a lot of money into infrastructure to make an area that was previously not uh, producing, say, pecans or cotton to start producing it. Um, it's interesting that some of the people who are engaged in deforestation and are often blamed uh, for deforestation by um, well, let's see, the mass media narrators of big business are small farmers who have been displaced um, from elsewhere. And this the story of um, kind of reparations in land being turned into um, a class of basically homeless and, free, and cheap laborers to be exploited by um, the deforestation interests. I wonder if, yeah, that's an interesting whole story that maybe we don't want to talk about right now, but I wonder how deliberate that kind of a policy is to move the most marginal people out onto the frontier. Yeah, I think it's, no, you're absolutely right. I think it's absolutely deliberate. Um, everywhere I've gone to look at the, the sort of dynamic of, of the palm oil industry, I mean, I often say it's not about the, the palm oil, it's not about the forest, it's actually about the land. Um, and that's you know that's why our campaign is focused really on the land grabbing piece. But if you look at, for example, uh, in Indonesia, the pl there's a plantation model, um, which is is the way much of the palm oil industry runs there, and that model is is known as plasma. It's the Indonesian Indonesian word um, for this model, whereby a company is given a concession by the government. Um, in in the vast majority of cases, this concession is you know, is or was recently a uh, tropical rainforest inhabited by indigenous communities. Um, when the company's given the concession, those communities, you know, their rights are completely erased. And the palm oil uh, company then develops what they call a partnership with these now, you know, landless communities in which um, they are given the opportunity to work for the company. And so the company develops what's essentially a feudal model where they um, prepare plots of land in palm oil for the smallholders or for the indigenous peoples for three to four years until the crop bears fruit. They um, they provide food rations and a stipend on credit to the people who they've just um, you know dispossessed of their land, and then when the trees are ready to begin harvesting, the you know indigenous people, smallholders who are now plantation workers, take over the management, but they continue to contract the company for processing and refining and so on. And by the time that they're now working for the company, they're deeply in debt to the company. Um, and it takes, in some cases, 20, 30 years to pay back this debt. 
Um, so it's it's a, it's an absolutely futile model, and it's a model that is you know systematically designed to take the land out of the hands of local people and indigenous peoples um, and put it in the hands of multinational corporations. Well, and just for a refresher, I've just had a really beautiful conversation with um, Gus Newport, who's a civil rights activist, and he reminded me about Malcolm X and what the X stands for is exploitation and expropriation, and the 40 acres and a mule is a reference to the promise that was made um, by General Sherman of the Union Army, who, after being followed by so-called freed slaves for many hundreds of miles as he burnt his way across the South in retreat, uh, or a victorious, a victorious retreat back to um, Charleston, he wrote an order which was called Sherman's Order, um, which was a land redistribution pledge to these um, newly freed, uh, formerly enslaved people. And that Sherman's Order was offering this 40 acres and a mule from the Army. So anyway, just in case anybody doesn't know what that reference is about, it's a very uh, worthy piece of study, and you can do it really quickly on the Internet. Um, so, So many organizations are... Um, focused on palm oil, and everybody that uh, everybody that is thinking about food and food politics has probably had their ears raised on the topic of of palm oil. Um, obviously, most of us in the young farmers movement are really focused on more regional, more diverse uh, food supply chains, and that instead of importing across mega distances using mega tankers from mega corporations and mega capital in mega destructive ways, these ingredients for our obesity-causing diseases, that there would be a much more balanced, uh, nuanced, adaptive, and uh, resilient framework of cultivation in the region, and that the region would not only drink its own water, but eat mostly of its own food, and that that would provide employment um, and prosperity for the people who are so motivated to get out there and make it. Um, I'm looking out at the landscape of wine grapes and olive trees here in Northern California, and obviously um, there's a lot of things that can grow even um, in an economy that used to be characterized by plunder. Um, in California, that was gold. Now, um, now California is a different kind of an economy, and Similarly, I guess the question I have for you is, since so many um, land-based economies have been so distorted by globalization and by this um, plantation kind of agriculture, if you could talk about what the restoration would look like and what these plantations that have been deforested and turned into monocultures and sprayed with herbicide and the hydro I'm sure there's been runoff problems and erosion problems, and I'm sure they've used big bulldozers to change the hydrology all around. And I know that it's young and optimistic to ask this question, but what does it look like if we succeed in um, modifying this kind of a landscape according to our knowledge of how ecological restoration could unfold? Yeah, no, that's a great question, um, and not an not an easy one necessarily. There are definitely um, people working on it, um, and in our sort of in our campaigning on the financial markets to get them out of deforestation, we have um, sort of a four part ask, which is that they commit 
to disclose it, well that they disclose their investments in palm oil that they commit to a deforestation free and land grab free policy that they exclude or divest from any companies that are not meeting a, a reasonable um, standard and then the fourth one is that they repair the damage um, and honestly we're still just exploring what that means but there are some even larger companies that are are beginning to do ecosystem re- restoration um, now you know as you and your your listeners well know when we talk about restoration at least where i begin isn't especially in in the case of um, sort of uh, communities in the global south we're not talking about just restoration of ecosystems we're talking about restoration of the rights of people to manage those lands appropriately to uh, you know their livelihood needs um, so that's one of the things that we're that a number of friends of the earth international groups are working on is developing sustainable models of regional markets and agroecological solutions you know agro- agroecological alternatives to industrial plantation agriculture um, when we get to let's say the scale of a concession in in Indonesia one of the th- in order to convert um, a peatland forest to uh, to palm oil plantation part of what happens is deep canals are dug in the peat soils um, in order to drain the peat and then provide irrigate use that water to provide irrigation to to the palm trees um, Indonesia has been seeing the largest forest fires in its history in the last few years because of drying out of that peat so the basic first step there is to block those peat canals and re re-soak that peat um, so that it can continue to you know support uh, support biodiversity um, and then the second step is that a number well our partners at Friends of the Earth Indonesia have cataloged at least 200 um, food crops or and or useful crops that can be grown on peat soils without uh, without eroding the the, the ecology um, so they are beginning to develop markets for crops that can be grown in a you know a, a polycrop system on ecologically restored land. Um, the the challenge, I mean, one of the one of the the, the real challenges you you mentioned globalization is, of course, you know we're we're talking for the most part about local and regional um, land use plans of the sort that I think you and your your listeners are. Are really all about, and so that's why we need to essentially kick out the multinationals, and you know, end this model of export-led agriculture if we're going to have any success in uh, in restoring those ecosystems. But ecology shows that tropical rainforests, um, you know, as long as we can bring them back through practices of 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 succession and um, you know ground up restoration, they can recover. Um, these are the the rainforests of Indonesia are the oldest rainforests in the world. They've been devastated over the course of the last three decades. Um, and so, if we can take them out of the hands of the multinationals uh, and put them in the hands of uh, people who who know how to restore them, which of course not all smallholder farmers know this stuff. It's a question of you know like all you know all of your listeners are doing right now learning relearning how to do um, ecological land management um, in ecosystems where it's perhaps never been done well I hope to have on the show some of these amazing agroforestry peeps in this carbon conversation that 
we are having um, here nationally as um, newly elected president has removed all mention of climate change from the White House uh, website today and also renewed plans for Keystone Pipeline and um, Dakota Access Pipeline, I think it's likely that there will be a pulse of indignation and that we're, we have plenty of jobs for that indignation to get busy with. And um, the beautiful expertise brought into restora restoration agroforestry and um, successional agroforestry um, and which is, you know, kind of like permaculture, but is really about repairing dynamism to these ecosystems that have been so degraded and and simplified um, from a from a macro diversity perspective in terms of being able to bear carnivores and large mammals and all of the in, because of the insects and birds that that all relies on, all the way down into the soil and the kind of diversity. Um, of habitat that's created by this complex um, plant ecosystem. So um, we have re really amazing expertise, and I'm hoping to bring more of it on to the radio show, of the people who are engaged in training and uh, theorizing and spreading the word on the techniques to use, and Ernst Guts is one of them. Um, so anyway, keep watching this space, and I want to give you, Jeff, a chance to um, point towards any campaigns that need clicks or actions that our listeners can take, or um, especially in the communication stream that they have with many of the people in our country who are in the literati and the glitterati and the technorati and the 1% who eat organic food and are committed to eating more pork from pastured pigs instead of donuts from palm oil, what else could we be transmitting um, through our farmers markets and CSAs um, and with our credible voices? Yeah, great question. Um, I guess I would point folks to a couple of the websites that we have up. Um, one of them is earthhq.foe.org. That's HQ as in headquarters. And that is kind of our um, communication hub for a couple of our Friends of the Earth campaigns. But specifically, there's a page there called Defend the Rainforest, where we have uh, updated news and information on, on our campaign and on the palm oil scene and some very simple um, easy-to-understand infographics about sort of the scale and, and depth of the, the palm oil crisis, the other oil crisis, as we're calling it. So that's earthhq.foe.org. And then the other one is um, our Deforestation Free Investment Campaign. There's a website called deforestationfreefunds.org, um, where uh, we have um, – basically, you can find um, – we show every mutual fund that's available on the market um, that a lot of people have in their retirement funds, their IRAs. Um, I don't imagine a lot of young farmers have those, but the folks that we talk to often do. Um, and on there, you can see the, the um, investments in palm oil that all of the U.S. available mutual funds have. And we're targeting specifically three big investment firms. One is called TIAA, which is the investment fund for university faculty um, and professors, and we're trying to get them out of palm oil. And we're also targeting Vanguard, which is the biggest uh, owner of mutual funds in the country. Um, and there's a few more on there, but I would just say folks should look at deforestationfreefunds.org and earthhq.foe.org for uh, 
ongoing information and resources on this issue. Well, I thank you so much for your tireless work on what I'm sure is often um, the upstream bureaucratic drudgery of environmentalism. And so many of us get to do um, the glamorous outdoor rosy cheek making work of this <laughs> movement. So thank you for staring at a screen and chasing down the bad guys. Yeah, it's true. I often wish I was uh, out there doing what you all are doing, but both are absolutely necessary. And the more we uh, work together, um, and the more hope we have for real resilience and real restoration. And uh, maybe we can switch places every, you know, two days a week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I just learned that in the old days, the mining claims in California, your claim was only good if you worked three days out of every week on your claim. So, so there is a pattern to look right. to. Um, thank you all for listening and um, for for learning more about this. You can click the links that um, Jeff has kindly po posted on his articles on Medium and other venues to learn more and post it on your own blog and use your Instagram um, for good for good cause once in a while. Um, again, thank you to Handley Sellers for their kind hospitality. If you're interested in beautiful organic wine from Mendocino County, you can join their cellar club at henleycellars.com. It's very, very delicious. And um, may we all continue to move forward in good spirit. Happy New Year. Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. I fill up an ocean with the tears that I've